0: Today's episode is brought to you by Appalachian Baby Design. Appalachian Baby Design offers U.S. organic cotton and designs to create heirloom baby and family gifts for the knitter, crocheter, and weaver. See their selection of yarn, patterns, and kits at appalachianbaby.com and use the coupon code CIA421 for a 20% discount. Thank you so much, Appalachian Baby Design. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 190 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about creating a knitting magazine with my guests, Hannah-Lisa Hafferkamp and Claire Walls. Hannah Lisa is the CEO and owner of Making Stories, an independent knitwear design publisher focusing on the intersection of sustainability and knitting. The cornerstone of her work at Making Stories is the biannual Making Stories magazine filled with modern knitwear patterns and sustainable yarns, which is complemented by the Making Stories blog and podcast, both of which relaunched in 2020. Implementing sustainability, transparency, fairness, and equity in all parts of her work is incredibly important to Hannah Lisa. She lives with her 18 month old and her partner in Berlin and is fueled by coffee and sunshine and loves taking her knitting out to the playground or the balcony. Hannah Lisa Haverkamp, welcome.
1: Hi, Ebbie, and hello to everyone who's listening. I'm so happy
0: to be here. And Claire Walls is a maker and designer of nice things, originally from the UK, but now living in Nova Scotia. In 2017, she published her first knitting pattern and completely fell in love with designing knitwear. And over time, became increasingly interested in working with natural fibers and exploring sustainability. When Claire discovered Making Stories magazine, she was instantly excited and intrigued by the work they were doing, so she jumped the chance to work for them when a job opportunity came up. Claire Walls, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here.
0: I'm very excited to talk with you about creating a magazine in 2021 or 2020. Um, I think it's a, a very interesting time to to create a print magazine and to supplement it with web content. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. And Hannah-Lisa, I'd love to start with you Um, if you can just kind of give us a little bit of your background, I know you've done a lot of different things and also switched careers, um, into crafts. You weren't, you know, originally working in the crafts industry as your job. So tell us a little bit about your kind of journey, um, into, uh, the crafting world.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely switched careers. (laughs) I had to laugh a little bit there. Um, so, uh, I started out my professional career, as a business consultant working for one of the big four consulting companies um, in the world. Um, I absolutely loved that job and then I started hating it. (laughs) That was about, um, what year is it now? 2021, so it was about eight years ago. Um, and so I started looking for a career change and that brought me then out of the consulting world into the smaller business world, because I joined a company that ran an online marketplace at that time. And it had about 50 people. Originally I started there as a marketing director, and then I took over product management and HR as well and became their COO. And then after about two and a half years, I left that company. And that was at a point where I was at the end of my 20s and I, I looked in the mirror and I thought, well, I don't really want to keep doing what I've been doing. I want to change something. We spent so many hours of our lives working and I'm just not happy with the work that I've been doing. And I was in the very fortunate position that I could actually um afford to take a year that's the time frame that I gave myself so I said you have a year Hannah Lisa and you can do whatever you want and you the only goal for that year is that you need to find something that makes you happy and that there was nothing attached to that and that was when I started knitting I actually started knitting well way back in when I was a kid and then didn't knit for the longest time and then sort of shortly before I left my last employed job, I started knitting again, because I just wanted something tangible in my life. I was working for an online marketplace company, like there was nothing tangible that I was doing. And I just had this deep, deep desire that I really wanted to do something with my hands. So I started knitting again. And then over the course of that year that I gave myself to figure out what I actually wanted to do, knitting just became the thing like i I loved it. I still love it. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do. And it's brought me to this place of where I now run a knitting magazine, which I had never dreamt of. So to sum it up after that one year, I started doing a few of the things that um that brought me to the knitting magazine. So I started actually a small project bag label. I sold some project bags. I sold them first on Etsy and then on my website. Um, I also started working with other small businesses in the fiber industry, mainly as a business coach, because I figured everything that I'd learned before, both as a business consultant and as a COO can actually be applied um, at a much smaller scale to businesses that are, you know, like one person shows two two person shows and that are active in the fiber industry. I did um then at making stories to the mix about 2 years after I started out being self-employed. And then there were three things. So there was the project back label, there was making stories, and then there was
0: the coaching.
1: And then I got pregnant. <laughs>
0: Um, that seems like one too many things
1: (laughs) yes 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 yes. like I I kind of had this thought when I was pregnant I was like okay like probably something needs to go that something won't be the kid like that's here to stay um don't get me wrong like I love I love Oren to death and I wouldn't change being a mom for anything in the world but running three separate businesses and a family, that's just too much. And so I went on parental leave for about three full months after Oren was born. And over that time, I really, really quickly realized that making stories is the one thing that I want to do. And so I made the decision to close both other businesses down. I did a big closing sale for the project back labels. I off-boarded all my coaching clients and I've been doing only making stories ever since. So that was about a year ago, a little over a year ago now. And it was the absolute right choice. I'm so in love with the work that we do and I'm so excited for everything that we're doing right now and that we're, that we're planning for the future. And I think that's, that's what I just want for everyone who's running their own business in the creative industry it's hard it's it's always hard but i find in the best days it's super rewarding as well
0: and i think it can also take time to find the right path or the right way that you where you fit um so i know for myself even like I did craft fairs. Um, I sold on Etsy. Like I did a lot of different things. I was a blogger and then I tried running ads on the blog. And, you know, I just tried all different ways to make money and then sort of feeling out, well, what do I enjoy doing most and what's profitable? Like how does this fit into my life? Um, And then sometimes needing to let things go, which can be really difficult to do, especially if there's a market demand mm-hmm. for them because it doesn't sound like people were not buying the project bags, it just was that you could no longer sustain making them. And so um, anyway, I just think that, you know, it's it's worthwhile to try things, and then also worthwhile to let things go.
1: Absolutely. And as you said, it is hard. But I also think for me, the decisions came very gradually. And so they felt natural. It was It was comfortable in the end, which I think is very privileged. Like not everyone who has to close their businesses or who decides to close their businesses does that because they choose to do so. Um, But I think, you know, it was definitely the right thing for me trying out a lot of different things. And then, you know... If you don't try the things, you don't know what works for you. It's just that's just the way that it is, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Claire? Can you talk a little bit about your trajectory and how you ended up? It sounds like uh responding to a job posting at Making Stories. So tell us that path.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um I was kind of in a bit of a strange limbo for a while. So I'd had A completely different business for um 10 years um another craft business uh where I've been sewing and same selling on Etsy and doing the craft fairs and it made me really happy for a very long time and then it made me very unhappy for a, a while especially since I'm originally from the UK and I'm now in Nova Scotia and I've met my now husband and I was traveling back and forth a lot and I was very kind of tied into this business that I created and my true passion always lay with knitting when I started my um, original business all those years ago I remember saying that I desperately wanted to do something to do with knitting but I couldn't work out how to do that and make a living um, so because I'm a genius I turned hand sewing <laughs> <laughs> Which also doesn't work necessarily, um, but it was awesome for a really long time, and I just love making things. Um, but as I kind of developed my knitting, and I knew that's where my true passion lies, um, I started down this road of okay, well, what am I now using to create with? Um, I knew that I love natural fibers, and that took me down another road of where those vibes are coming from and along the way I discovered Making Stories um, and it was just, it just clicked straight away. I completely fell in love with the whole concept and I was extremely lucky and honoured that the first pattern that I ever had published was with Making Stories so I got to work with Hannah-Lisa early on as a designer and that was with Woods, their first book and we got to meet briefly at Nottingham Yarn Festival, uh, which is the one and only time Hannah, Lisa and I have ever seen each other in real life, which is actually crazy. Um, And I just knew I just wanted to be part of the Making Stories world. So when a job posting came up the first time, I was in the middle of winding down my old business. I was going back and forth to Canada and the UK and I saw the marketing manager position open up and I was like oh I would love to apply for that job but it's just not right. I knew I wouldn't be able to give 100% to it because of everything going on and other work commitments because at that time I was winding down my business and had taken on a lot of designing work um, and there was just too much going on and I was really sad about it. I remember being like I just want to apply for a job there and it was like fate. I finally moved to Canada officially and I was willing to get my residency and the position opened up again. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, yep, yep, I'm applying to that. And um and I've never looked back since. I was super lucky to get the job and it's just been two and a half years now, I think, since we started working together and it's just snowballed from there into just this awesome work environment that I absolutely love. Um that keeps me very busy but in an awesome way (laughs) so yeah it's just brought me here that's amazing so let's talk a little bit
0: about um having a print magazine in this day and age because I do feel like you know um there was a huge push to put everything on the web make everything free and then a lot of sort of pull back from that to say, okay, everything can't be on the web and can't be free. And people do still really enjoy print. And I wonder whether you were, um, I guess this question is for you, Hannah lisa if you were inspired by some of the other independent print magazines that you saw out there, or if you had an idea of a way to differentiate yourself or sort of what was the impetus to start a magazine?
1: That's a very good question. I think I need to start at the very beginning of making stories actually with this story because the very first thing that we published was not Making Stories magazine, but a book, um, which was way back at the beginning. No, not at the beginning. So in the fall of 2017, we started working on this in the fall of 2016. And there was definitely inspiration but not from any particular magazine in the crafting world but what I and my co-founder at that time Verena felt was that there was a space that no one actually really looked at which was all of the things related to sustainability and knitting. So at that time, we were thinking a lot about um, where does yarn come from? Where do the fibers come from? How are they processed? How can everything be as transparent as possible? And a lot of the content that I saw out in the world wasn't really paying attention to that. There were beautiful, beautiful knitting patterns out there with gorgeous yarns, but a lot of that wasn't really wasn't really getting into the stories of everyone who's involved in actually making yarns and bringing designs to life. And so we both felt really passionate about that. And that's where the idea for a publication that would focus on that actually then came, came to life. And at first we thought, well, we're, we're going to do a book. And it was a conscious choice to do print because I just love print. Like I just love, I am a bookworm, I love books, I love really well-produced magazines and there's just something so tangible that just fits together with knitting. Knitting is such a tangible craft because you're feeling the yarn in your hand, you're feeling the fibers, you're feeling the fabric as it emerges from your needles and I find that a lot of knitters are very tactile people I don't even know if you can say that but you know they really just appreciate the feeling of a good like of good yarn and they appreciate the feeling of super high quality paper in their hands so print and in especially in the knitting world I think just sees an appreciation that maybe in other craft craft areas is maybe not there not that I would know a lot about that because I'm mostly active in the knitting space but that was kind of the background of um, the decision of actually doing a print product Um, now fast forward a couple of years later um, we realized that books are good but we'd kind of maneuvered ourselves into a corner with the concepts of our books which was focused on sustainable yarns produced in Europe that was very 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 narrow and I felt we needed more creative space to explore all things sustainability and knitting and a magazine just was super super attractive for me at that point because while we have the same concept for each issue which is we have 10 to 12 patterns and then we have a few editorial articles poems um comics graphic um illustrations there's a lot of freedom within that construct as well we can explore all sorts of different topics and so this is how making stories magazine was then born and coming back to what you said, Abby, about the decision to do print in a digital age, one of the things that we found in the last few years is that people do appreciate digital versions of things. So, for example, our print magazine comes with a digital version as well. So, you know, if you want to access it on your iPad or your phone, you can you can do that. Um, but just digital collections or just digital versions are not as popular and this is especially difficult when you're looking at it from a business perspective because the reality is that if we're doing a digital only collection which we've done in the past in addition to our magazine the production cost is actually not that much lower compared to print because we're still contracting designers for their patterns we're still working with a photographer we're still working with a model and with a location we're still doing tech editing we're still doing all the layout the only big expense that we don't have is the printing cost and that doesn't account well it's still a lot the printing cost but that doesn't account for um the majority of our project budget if we're looking at an entire collection which leads to the cost of a digital only product to actually not be that much lower compared to print but we found that the willingness to pay is actually a lot lower for digital only products so you're end you end up with a margin that's significantly lower which is why financially speaking digital only products i think are really difficult even though they're I think super popular and especially with you know as moving into the age of the creator economy people who have created content for years monetize it for years i think also now find it increasingly difficult to actually sell digital products the way that that used to work if that makes sense
0: I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Appalachian Baby Design, and the owner of Appalachian Baby Design, Diane Browning.
3: I'm Diane Browning, and I run Appalachian Baby Design. And as you can tell from our name, we are um, smack dab in the middle of Appalachia, which has a bad stereotype, but really is a beautiful part of the world and has this really slowed down way of life. And also, as you know from our name, uh, we focus on baby. And it's a niche. And, you know, we, we think it's an important one. Bringing a baby into the world is one of the most thrilling events. And it's when a lot of people get inspired to pick up knitting needles and crochet hooks. Because it's a time when you want to give something that represents love and care and will hopefully be cherished forever.
0: That's lovely. And can you tell us a little bit about your yarns? The
3: main yarn we offer is U.S. Organic Cotton. And it's a perfect yarn for babies because it's pure and natural. And it's machine wash and dry. We get the cotton from a cooperative in West Texas. And we have it spun at a family owned mill in North Carolina. And we're so grateful that we're able to do this in the United States. We have a collective of fiber artists. We've worked with and developed designs for the knitter, the crocheter and the weaver. And while most of our design work is for baby gifts, uh, we have many, many people that buy the yarn for other projects. You can order the yarn and kits on our online shop at AppalachianBaby.com. And I'd also like to mention that we have a wholesale program and we ship to stores all over the United States and Canada.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Diane. This has been great. Thank you so much, Appalachian Baby Design. And now back to my conversation with Hannah, Lisa, and Claire. Well, a few things. How did you learn how to be a magazine or even a book, but now a magazine editor? Um, I mean, I feel like that's a whole field in and of itself. And if I wanted to publish a print magazine, I would have a really steep learning curve because I don't actually, I mean, I love magazines. I receive magazines and read them, but I don't actually know all the ins and outs of how to put one together myself I mean I understand you need a collection of you know 10 or 12 patterns and you can commission articles all of that part I get sort of the content collect collecting the content commissioning collecting the content but that just doing like layout and design and creating a magazine that looks like a magazine I guess and is cohesive Mm. um was there a course you took or how did you learn how to do that Part of it was a lot of learning by doing, which resulted
1: in a very steep learning curve. So if I look at um, the first books that we put out, um, they are not the same quality as the magazine. The magazine, I'm so, so happy with the quality. I'm still very proud of the early books that we did, but we've definitely learned a ton. Um, The other thing, was and still is that i'm lucky enough to work with incredibly talented people on this so claire and i were the cornerstones of making stories we're working on this every day except for the weekends most weekends um but it on a magazine we work with a lot of freelancers. So we're working, for example, with a wonderful graphic designer who we've worked with um, the entire time for the magazine, who's helped us bring the idea and the vision behind the magazine into actual graphic design format. So very concretely, we came to her with this idea of actually doing this magazine and we said, look, like, we want something that's, modern that can serve in for like as the background for a whole set of different topics that is very centered on photography that has very clean lines a lot of negative space and then she took all of that and she put it into a beautiful template and we're still using that for for the magazine and we're working with her on every single part or on every single part of the magazine essentially when we put it together um So there wasn't really a course or anything that I took. What I find now with a job that I do is a lot of project management and a lot of process management, because in essence, putting one issue of the magazine together, I always look at it like like a puzzle. There are a million puzzle pieces that have to fit together at the exact right point in time. And my job is to keep track of all of the puzzle pieces, make sure they are where they should be at that point in time where they need to be there. And that is something that I learned. That is what I studied. So I studied uh, I studied business management and economics, and this is where my background as a business consultant and just the way that my brain works, honestly, really comes into play. Um, and it, it's something that I enjoy very much. And I'm really thankful that I get to work with someone like Claire, who has the same kind of structured way of looking at things, but who also brings a lot of creativity to the work that we do and has a wonderful eye for design and color. And that
0: actually makes this so much fun. And Claire, can you talk a little bit about... um... What sort of goes into a making stories pattern? In other words, I know you have open calls for submissions and
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: designers who might be interested can see those on your Instagram if they follow along. Um, so when I'm sure you get, um, submissions and some of them are of varying quality, right? Or just maybe aren't a fit or some are a good fit. So could you describe, you know, when, when those yeah. do come in or when you're looking out there evaluating various knitwear designers to see whether their patterns might be right for the, uh, an upcoming, um, publication. What, what makes for a making stories pattern or what makes for an excellent project, um, that would fit the bill, I guess. Of
2: course. Um, first off, You're right, things come in and they are at varying levels. But one thing we're always really open with is working with new designers. Um, We try to put as much information out there as to what makes a good submission. Um, We have a blog post on it um, just to try and help people. Because I know when I first started designing, it was so confusing and I will put together submissions. And I remember how scary it was, A, putting yourself out there and then B, when you do get that rejection, which you get so many rejections especially early on um it can be really disheartening so one thing i just want to say off the bat that we have to say no to a lot of people especially this time around we had so many submissions um for issue 7 and there were so many amazing ones and we had to say no to a lot of fantastic patterns so comes down to what the theme is what we're looking for and it also comes down to how the collection looks as a whole so we might have an, we had so many amazing patterns that unfortunately we had to say no to just because they didn't work as a collection as a whole um but more in general terms what we tend to look for are wearable patterns like we love exciting things coming in but as well we're all about sustainability so we want to create patterns and finished objects that people are going to wear for a really long time and love for a long time so for me the two approaches we come to are is this going to make for a nice knitting experience because that's important too you want you want to enjoy the thing that you're making but are you going to result in something that you're going to be able to wear a long time so this is where we tend to not automatically go for things that are on trend you might say so things that um that might not stand the test of time that might be beautiful in the moment but if it's not going to have that longevity um that's when we tend to move away and and not select those kind of patterns as much as we might personally absolutely love them um so that's really essentially what we look for and I'm really just How the submission's put together goes a really long way when it gets picked. But again, we're happy to sit and ask those questions. And if there's gaps to fill in in the submission where it might not be super clear, if we think it's going to be a really good idea, we will go back to the designer and say, hey, like, what were you thinking here? Could you just explain this a little bit more? Um, But yeah, essentially, that's what we're looking for. Wearable, beautiful patterns that people can love forever, hopefully. (laughs) And can you talk a little bit about
0: marketing? Because um, you have a really impressive list of stockists, so of um, retail stores that are carrying making stories all over Europe. Um, There are, are lots of them, plus all over the US as well. And, you know, I imagine that getting the word out, getting samples probably into people's hands so that they can see what the magazine looks like and then, um, building relationships with all of these different people. I don't know whether you're selling through distributors or just only directly to retail shops. Um, but if you can talk a little bit about that effort and, um, how much time you're devoting to it and, um, and just sort of how to do it, because I think that that is a huge part of the success of this. Obviously it needs to be distributed as widely as possible.
2: Absolutely. And I think a huge part of that goes um, because Hannah Lisa is over the stockists and she does a phenomenal job with that. So maybe you could jump in and talk a little bit about the stockists.
1: Of course. It's one of my favorite things, actually, working with stockists and establishing those relationships. So um, regarding the distributor question. So for Canada, we're working with a distributor with Julia Long. Who does all of the wholesale there for us, um, which is absolutely fantastic because it offers us the opportunity to provide, you know, like lower shipping rates and faster turnaround times to Canadian stockists. For everyone else, no matter whether you're based in the US or in the in the European area or anywhere else in the world, um, we're we're Processing all of the wholesale orders ourselves, but we have do- two fulfillment centers that we work with. So we have one based here in Berlin that fulfills all of the orders that come in from Europe and basically everywhere except for the US. And then we're working with the Woolly Thistle as our fulfillment partner in the US again. Because this allows us to significantly cut down on the shipping time and shipping cost for our US stockers, which I think is has always been really important. But especially now in COVID times with shipping delays still going on at the time that we're recording this, um, it's just something that I'm really, really happy that we're able to do that. Now, with a uh, stock and the relationship with those stockists um i'm trying to think back because we started wholesale right of the bat so when we first started making stories with the first book, we did a crowdfunding campaign and had this idea of, um, well, we're just going to sell directly to the customer. But we started getting wholesale inquiries really, really soon, which was also really nice for us because it just proved product market fit. Obviously, there was an interest also by the stockists for the products that we had to offer. And so quite a few of our stockist relationships really go back to that. But then there was really a second wave when we started launching the magazine, I put a lot of time into outreach campaigns. So I would research stock is that would fit well with us, So that would carry a lot of natural fibers that would also be very conscious about where they would source from. That would, for example, also use recycled materials in their packaging. And then I would reach out to them via email and I would introduce us and ask if they would maybe want a little sneak peek or if they would want to see a sample. At that time, yarn festivals um were... Well, hopefully, they'll they'll still be a thing at some point in the future. (laughs) (laughs) But um, at that point, I was traveling to quite a few yarn festivals. And so I took that opportunity. I always had a couple of samples in my backpack. And then I just would, you know, go around and meet people um, whom I had been in touch with before. And out of those outreach campaigns, so the email outreach campaign that I did, and then also meeting people at yarn festivals came a lot of really good stockist relationships. And What was really important for me is treating our stockists as a partner, and I want to provide as much value to them as we can. So a lot of the work that I do is putting resources together for our stockists when we're preparing the launch of a new magazine. For example, we provide early pattern access, so a few months before a magazine actually launches, we email all of the stockists that we work with, and we offer them... Early pattern access, so that they can knit samples up, so that they can see what's in the magazine. Then, when the time for the launch of a new issue comes, we put all of the information that they might possibly need to promote the magazine, but also just to set up the listing in their web shop in our stockist wholesale shop, so that they have access to the photos. To the texts about the magazine so that it's really easy for them to get everything set up. It's basically copy paste, download the pictures, set everything up in your webshop. You're good to go with the pre-orders. And same thing goes for the ordering process. I really wanted to make it as smooth for our stockers as possible to order from us. So we have a dedicated web shop that is only for wholesale and we offer a lot of different payment methods and we also offer ordering through email because I've come to learn that, you know, the way that every one of us is running their business differently, that also obviously applies to stockists, you know, some might prefer just handling their entire business over email. Others really appreciate the opportunity to order through a webshop. And a lot of that, I think, um, is just coming from a place where I want to to make their life as easy as I can and obviously yes coming back to your question on like how much time do I devote to that, it really depends on where we are in the cycle of a publication. Right now we're preparing, um, so we're recording this in the middle of March, we're preparing the release of our latest issue which is issue number five. I'm devoting a lot of time to stockists. And um, it's really one of those things that I just really, really like working with them, figuring out how can we help them? What do they need from us? Especially now, because their business for everyone who has a brick and mortar shop, a local yarn store, that's completely changed over the last year. You know, people cannot come in in most countries just unannounced and get their yarns that just doesn't work anymore and so understanding what they need and how we can help um that's really a big part of what i'm doing right now
0: and um the magazine is printed is it printed locally to you in berlin
1: yes yes it is we're working with a printer here in berlin that is the first printer that's been completely eco-certified um in the entire world uh, with a Blue, Blaue Engel, Blue Angel certificate, essentially, which was really important for us. It's the most eco-friendly way of printing that exists. And they are also super helpful, or they were super helpful when it came to sourcing the paper and deciding which paper we wanted to go with for the magazine, because obviously it should be really high quality and be really good for photographs. But I really, really wanted something with a Blue Angel certificate that is the most sustainable certificate for paper products that's out there.
0: And I know you recently were, you know, doing some updates on the website so that direct to consumer customers, so that not buying from a local yarn shop, but buying directly from you can now um, subscribe. To the magazine, so that they don't just need to, you know, buy one issue or two issues and like annually, but they can actually subscribe and it auto renews, you know, so that their subscription just continues. Um, and I wondered whether um, you could talk a little bit about the technical challenges. I know that's sort of nerdy, but mm. um, as a person who runs a membership site myself, I know that there's a lot of complexity involved in setting up subscriptions and all of that. So I just um, wondered if you could address briefly, like how you have been working on kind of the, the tech side of the site for a direct consumer.
1: Absolutely. And I love all the nerdy questions, right? So keep, keep (laughs) them coming. (laughs) Um, So our website runs on Squarespace, which is really, really good uh, for everything that we need. It has a good. It's a good combina- combination for us of um, blog functionality slash content functionality and shop functionality, which is the main reason that we went with Squarespace over, for example, Shopify at the time that we set the site up. But subscription products weren't available for a pretty, pretty, pretty long time on Squarespace. I think they only introduced that maybe
0: a recent, year ago. Yeah, it was pretty recent. Like, yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, a lot of the functionality that we're now using for our new auto-renew subscription wasn't available at that time, but we knew that we wanted to offer subscriptions, so so it kind of hacked it and did a workaround, um, which is that we started offering two-issue and four-issue subscriptions, which you would purchase, like you would purchase a normal product, you would just pay the full price at the time of purchase. And then that would get you the next two issues or the next four issues. But it would also result in us, well, mostly Claire, having to do a lot of sometimes automated, but sometimes not so much automated email marketing, um, following up with the subscribers whose subscriptions ran out, encouraging them to renew the subscriptions, setting up the new subscriptions in time so that the subscribers whose subscriptions expired could actually purchase them. And um, that was all working okay. But I think we're both really excited about that new auto renew um, subscription. And so the way just how we set this up on Squarespace is that Squarespace um, has two different sort of facets to subscription products that you can adjust um, as a shop owner, one is how often do you want to bill people, and the second one is how many payments do you want them to make. So what we are doing for our annual subscriptions that we're saying you pay us every 12 months, and then we set it to an ongoing payment. So that means as a subscriber you can cancel, but if you don't cancel it doesn't expire, you know? So every 12 months, your credit card gets charged with the subscription amount again and again. There are options to limit this. So if you wanna say, okay, um, I wanna have a subscription that only runs for three years, for example, you could say, okay, you can bill the customer every 12 months but please, and after three payment cycles, that's also an option. But what we are really excited about is that automatic auto-renewal feature. Also because it's just, I think it's more practical for the customer as well. Um, Claire knows this. We have had customers who've purchased two or sometimes even three subscriptions from us, just because it's not an auto-renew subscription and so they weren't really sure whether they were still subscribed or not and so you know for them i think it's really going to be super super handy just having that auto renew feature
0: yeah that's great claire that sounds like it's going to be a lot less work for you once this is set up yeah. yeah
2: yeah it really is i've got um i've got six separate email campaigns running at the moment um just for subscribers um just so they know when the issues are coming, if their issues aren't coming because they've expired or if they want to do the new annual subscriptions. And, um, and it's true, you get people, they purchase subscription and then completely forget and then bless them, they'll purchase another one because they're lovely and they want to support us and they want the magazine. But I had one customer who had three separate subscriptions running and was getting three copies of issue five and she had no idea, so... Yeah, that all takes time to then say. Okay, I need to refund you for this, and we're going to move you to this subscription for next time. And then you have to make an external note. Um, so next time issue six comes out, it's it's complicated. <laughs> so, I know, yeah, and no I think yeah, I
0: think this is something that people don't obviously. I mean, how would they? They don't see behind the scenes, so they don't understand some of those. Um, you know, machinations that are happening that make everything run. Um, but it is a lot of work to, to manage. And then the other piece too, which it sounds like you're just getting started with annual subscriptions, but, um, to that will, I'm sure, come up is, um, is around churn, right? So around, um, accidental churn, really, meaning like, um, people's credit cards expire. Or they changed their credit card because they had like a fraud incident, you know, somebody stole their credit card number or something like that. And so they had to cancel their credit card and get a new number. I know I've had to do that a number of times over the years. Um, and so then you forget, right, all of the things that were set up as... Um, you know, uh, automatic renewals on your old credit card. And then, of course, it comes due, the credit card is declined. And so you have to have a way to contact that person and hopefully an automated way, so it's not manually done by your staff, um, to say, hey, you know, guess what? Your credit card isn't working. Do you want to to renew this? And so there's various ways to to handle that as well.
1: Yeah, I think this yeah. is something, I mean, we're now offering this for the first time that we'll have to see how that goes once the annual subscriptions are up for renewal for the first time in, well, in a year from now, essentially. Um, What I found really interesting coming back to also like Squarespace and subscriptions is that because because it's auto renewal, Squarespace only offers credit card payments for the subscriptions and that is actually something that's a bit challenging for us and for other businesses who might be listening to this and are also based in the European area or especially in Germany um, for them it might be as well because for us we run the numbers and looked at the data and about 75 to 80 percent of our subscription customers actually did not use a credit card for their previous subscription purchase but they used paypal And so what that brings us to a situation where we now offer the auto-renew subscriptions, but we're still offering all of the other subscription options as well, the two-issue and four-issue ones, just we want to give people the option to... Um, pay with whatever payment method they prefer.
0: Well, I will actually tell you that I think that's wise. Um, (laughs) that they only allow you to use PayPal, even though you're correct that a lot of customers don't like it. The reason I think it's wise is because, um, with, um, Stripe, for example, which is a payment, you know, payment processor for credit cards, you can, um, easily see people whose credit card has been declined, and send them um, an automatic um, message. But with PayPal, you can't. And mm-hmm. so um, it's completely manual and impossible, basically. <laughs> so it's yeah. actually very good that you're not accepting <laughs> PayPal payments for those because um, – I found that out the hard way. So, so that's actually good to know. And, um, um, so, and, and the last thing I wanted to talk about before we get to, um, your recommendations is just around some of the other supplemental, um, materials that you have online besides the magazine. So, you know, I know that. I think about, you know, um, salvage magazine. We had Polly Leonard on the show a little while ago. We've had, um, Janine Van Gool from uppercase magazine on the show as well. Just some of the different publishers of kind of what I would call like high end indie craft magazines. Um, a lot of them don't take ads. Some do take ads. Um, but either way, um, what I've found from them is that having other materials that you're publishing online really helps people to find you. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the strategy there with the blog. And I know you have a podcast too. And sort of what are, what kind of content you're putting in those other places? Because I also think it can be overwhelming for people to think, well, I've already got all of this content going into the magazine. Why would I also now need to produce more content? Is it different content, et cetera? Um, for these other materials but they are really important so maybe you can address that strategy
2: absolutely um yeah we found I mean we were working so hard on the magazine and I think when Lisa came back from her maternity leave she had this concept of you know a is this something that's um going to work moving forward as just focusing on the magazine and B what can we do with the blog because when I come in early on I one of the ideas I'd have is that if people haven't bought the magazine if they don't actually know your work and they're not holding the thing in front of you how do they actually know what we're about um sure they can go on the website they can look at the pattern photos um but to actually get to know what you're doing you kind of need something else there to be able to communicate that to them so they can get a sense of what you're about and if they want to commit to buying something from you. Um, and for me, and I think for Lisa, the blog was definitely the first step towards doing that. Um, I felt that the blog should be a representation of who we were and the things you can find in the magazine. And like I said, Lisa got back from maternity leave and was like, hey, I think we should really push sustainability and write things really focused on what sustainability is what it means to us and and also write things that are going to be useful to the people reading it because it's lovely to write blog posts that are very nice but we also want usable content in there and to for people to actually read it and get something from it and to be able to apply it to themselves and whether that's their own interest in sustainability whether that's in their actual knitting um so that was really first step forward and we did this big um series last year on purely focusing on fiber and wool and sustainability and what it actually meant because sustainability is this huge topic it's also got a lot of pitfalls in it a lot of Assumptions um, happening there. And really, for Hannah and I, what sustainability comes down to is something very different depending on who you are. It's there's not a guidebook, there's not a one size fits all at all. It's all about your own circumstances and what sustainability means to you. So, what we want to do is to present all the different facets of sustainability t- so people can make their own decisions of what fits well with them, um, how they can apply certain things to their lifestyle and what they can't. And I think that's one of the things that's been really important because as soon as you start talking about sustainability, there's almost this feeling of like the finger wagging comes out and oh, you shouldn't be buying this and you shouldn't be using that and and that's not what we're about at all. We we're not in the business of telling people what to do and what to knit and where they should purchase from. All we want to do is say hey, we're gonna look at this topic this week, you take what you need to from that. And, and that's also the kind of content that we share in the magazine. So for me, getting to know our work through the blog is A, really beneficial for the customer and it's beneficial to us because if they like what we're putting out there, then maybe they'll be interested in the magazine. Um, so that was kind of the first step with the blog. Um, going on to YouTube, <laughs> Well, mainly, we just wanted people to know what Hannah, Lisa, and I were about because it's hard when you're working so much and you print all the content out. Um, I think sometimes people can think you're this faceless big business, and you know, and I'm sure you're the same. You, you get emails sometimes to that effect where we think, I think people think that we're much bigger than we are, and oh yeah, we have a fun fant- <laughs> yeah. And we have a fantastic team of people that we work with, but essentially it's Hannah Lisa and I day to day doing all that work um and it's important for us that people know as we're all about transparency um we're just like two humans like trying to get through the day and get through all our to do lists and we want people to know who we are to know who they're supporting um and know what we're about and and it's also. When the tech works really fun to just hang out (laughs) and have that bit of a catch-up because Lisa and I speak constantly online but it's very work-based um so sometimes like once every two weeks it's kind of nice to sit down and be like hey what are you knitting (laughs) this is what I'm knitting and just kind of chat about the week and relax and let people see who making stories are essentially and um I think those two, YouTube and with the blog, I think people get a much better sense of what we're doing. And hopefully we're also sharing things with people that they can use. So, for example, the last couple of weeks, I've done a blog post series all about adjusting length in um, knitting patterns because we're on this quite slightly scary series at the moment which I was like hey we should do this and then we got into it and that's helping people adjust patterns to get the perfect fitting sweater or garments because unfortunately we have to write knitting patterns to standard sizes um so everything's coherent um but most often than not people aren't a standard size so to get that piece of clothing at the end that we want you to get that you'll wear forever um, sometimes you need to do a bit of adjusting so it's all very well saying that to people but then if they're not really sure how to go about it then it's not very useful to them so that's where the new blog series came in of actual useful tangible information that's slightly terrifying me (laughs) because now I'm like Ooh, how do you actually do that so it's very exciting and I'm learning a lot along the way and um, Lisa, and I take it in turns to write different blog posts um, but it's a lot of fun and it's great to get the community involved to find out what they're thinking and what they need and to try and write content tailored to that we do a lot of asking people of what they want from us um, which again in itself can be slightly overwhelming at times but we want to create content that people will actually use and find useful so it's a huge joyous part of I think our job it's quite scary and stressful at times but um I love the blog and I love YouTube um, now I was terrified at the beginning um, but <laughs> we finally I finally relaxed into being able to talk on camera without being crazy so Um, and I'd love to get to
0: your recommendations. This has been a really helpful and interesting conversation. And there's so much more we could talk about because um, this business model, I think is one that is appealing to a lot of people and, you know, whether they're in knitting or in another craft, you know, I know there are people out there who would really like to publish a magazine. And, um, I hope that hearing some of this gives you kind of an inside understanding of what it takes and some strategy. But again, there's so much more, I'm sure that that goes on behind the scenes. And, um, and so anyway, I do really appreciate that the, what you have shared, um, and because I think that's incredibly helpful for people to hear but I do want to get to our recommendations so Hannah Lisa you um, had a few pretty good ones on here that um, that I would love to talk about and one of them is um, daily yoga and you've got some favorite yoga folks out there that you've been following
1: yes absolutely um, I'm a dedicated yoga with Adrian fan and I Hope some of uh, you who are listening are doing daily yoga with Adrienne as well. I really, really enjoy it. It's um, a free YouTube channel. Uh, just go on YouTube and search for Yoga with Adrian and you'll find her. And she has a super, super good library of yoga videos out there. But what I really enjoy about her is that she publishes monthly yoga playlists, so to say. So for every day of the month, you get a yoga video that's sort of connected under a common theme. And every year gets started by a new January series with 30 videos of daily yoga. And I started doing that again this January. I managed to get through January and February with yoga every day. March has been a little bit difficult because work has been crazy busy. But I really, really enjoy doing the daily yoga as either part of my lunchtime or then after I finished work and before I go to bed just because it brings me back into my body and it helps me breathe and actually try not to think about work which is incredibly hard as a business owner you know I can think about work 24 7 and often I do but yoga really helps trying to calm my nervous system down and actually relax a little bit.
0: And you've been in a mastermind group through Craft Industry Alliance. Um, this is a new program that we launched in January. So this was our our first go. But it sounds like your mastermind group has been working out well for you.
1: It has been working out really well. And everyone, Evie, didn't pay me to say this. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is not sponsored. I was really excited when you first announced the mastermind groups. I think that was towards the end of, of 2020. Yes. Um because I've been looking for a way to connect with other business owners, also from other craft industries, but not from the knitting industries, because I find that so, so helpful. Often in our mastermind group, we're five people, two of us are in the fiber world, but three of us aren't. And um, it's so, so interesting hearing how everyone else is doing things and we're sharing all of our problems and troubles and they can be as you know as as small or the feedback that we ask for can be as small as like okay hey which font do you think works better or it can be as big as like hey do you think doing this wholesale is actually a good idea and so I found my group to be incredibly supportive and and really really extremely helpful and I'm really excited we're we're gonna keep going with this and everyone who's kind of been thinking of signing up for a mastermind group, I can only highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I love the. I'm in one as well. And I love mine. So I hear you. It's they're awesome. And, um, and Claire, I wanted to get to a few of your recommendations as well. One of them is visible, um, creative mending on Instagram. I love visible mending. And I have a pair of jeans that I visibly mended that are like my favorite pair of jeans.
2: So talk a little <laughs> bit about your um, visible mending. I I'm literally right at the beginning of my visible mending journey it's one of those things where I've been a knitter for a long time and I have a huge stack of knitting um with holes in it (laughs) because I just wear them to death and um I just got really interested in the different ways of mending and I'm trying to teach myself that. And I got very interested in Swedish mending, which is basically using the duplicate stitch um, to reinforce areas and to cover holes. Um, So I'm kind of on a little bit of a visible mending kick at the moment. I'm actually knitting. This sounds really counterproductive now that I'm saying it, but I'm knitting a brand new sweater to practice my um, visible mending. on because I'm going to be doing duplicate stitch for decoration on there um which seems silly but I'm going to be reinforcing all the sleeves and it's just a very nice way of um approaching your work in a slightly different way if you've been doing a lot of knitting and you want to kind of switch your brain onto a slightly different craft but still stay in that same without like buying a whole ton of other equipment it's kind of nice just get your darning needle out and um do some mending and to fix a few things it's really therapeutic and good for in front of Netflix so I highly recommend it especially
0: since I'm wearing a sweater today that has a hole in it so um, (laughs) give it a go I know (laughs) I know I put it on and I was like oh yeah this one's got a hole in it um I need (laughs) to work on that so and then um you also wanted to recommend digital minimalism I have no idea what that is
2: it's a book, and it's actually a book that Hannah Lisa sent me um, at Christmas. This is actually just shows the kind of boss Hannah Lisa is because I'm I'm like a marketing manager, and I spend my life on social media. And she's actually sending me books to say, "Hey, you should get off social media more <laughs> and take a break." Um, so that basically sums up the caring nature of Lisa in one thing um, but I found it so interesting because I think like a lot of people out there I've fallen into that trap of scrolling through Instagram and spending so much time on this tiny little box um, and I noticed I was on Christmas vacation and I was sat just knitting and I think because I was only knitting stockinette I every few like rows I was just automatically putting my knitting down and I found myself reaching for my phone and I kept thinking why am I reaching for my phone so much it's it was almost like an instinct I thought oh this isn't maybe the healthiest way to be living so um so I started reading digital minimalism to try and set a few boundaries of when I put my phone down at night when I stop scrolling through Instagram and how much time I spend on there um just because I, I don't really enjoy being on on digital products all the time, but for some reason and because of work as well, you just get conditioned to always be online. So it's been kind of nice to say, OK, we're stopping that now. We're taking the dog for a walk and I'm not going to think about what's going on on Instagram or anything like that. And it's a really interesting book. So it helps you to set some boundaries and work through it. And and yeah, so if anyone else is kind of feeling a little bit ruled by the devices at the moment, I think especially in lockdown and when everything is very intense online too, it's kind of nice to be able to take that mental break. So I really recommend giving it a read.
0: That's great. Well, Hannah Lisa and Clara, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was great talking with both of you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure.
0: And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Appalachian Baby Design. Appalachian Baby Design offers U.S. organic cotton and designs to create heirloom baby and family gifts for the knitter, crocheter, and weaver. See their selection of yarn, patterns, and kits at AppalachianBaby.com and use the coupon code CIA421 for a 20% discount. Thank you so much, Appalachian Baby Design